You're listening to the Crosscheck NHL Show, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Here are your hosts, Andrew Berkshire and Mary Clark. Hello and welcome to the Crosscheck NHL Show. Thanks thanks for making the Crosscheck NHL Show your first listen every Tuesday and Thursday. We are free and available on all platforms. My name is Mary Clark, staff writer for The Win, and you can follow me on Twitter at Mary C. Clark. I'm here with Andrew Berkshire, NHL analyst for the Montreal Gazette and host of Game Over Montreal on the SDPN, who you can follow on Twitter at Andrew Berkshire. On this Thursday edition of the Crosscheck, the Chicago Blackhawks' sexual assault case was blown wide open as more details came to light, including survivor Kyle Beach stepping forward. We will spend the majority of this episode talking about the details and ramifications of the case, so trigger warnings for discussions of sexual assault. Please feel free to skip this episode if you need to for your own mental health. Also, we do have a guest today with Steve Dangle joining the show to discuss the perpetual roller coaster that is the Toronto Maple Leafs. So, Andrew, before we start off today's show, how are you doing? I I mean I'm I'm tired, um, but I'm okay. Uh, I like everyone who's looking at this. I'm mentally exhausted by it a little bit, but I don't want to trivialize people who are actually much more affected by this than I am. I'm furious at how it has been handled. Um, not by the, the media in particular, like uh, Rick West, that has been wonderful. The investigation. I'm glad that it was real. Cause I kind of, when the Blackhawks announced that they were going to hire a law firm to do an investigation, I think a lot of people, myself included, believe it was just going to be fluff, you know, uh, an attempt to exonerate themselves. And I'm glad that that isn't what happened. But I think this is just the beginning. I think that's what is a little bit scary to, to look at uh, how deep the the NHL and teams around the league and not just the NHL, junior hockey, American Hockey League, like have buried things. The fact that the Blackhawks ignoring this resulted in the assault of a minor. You know, it it is a very, very heavy story. I'm glad it's come out. I hope it leads to every single incident like this also coming out. But I, I'm also just like, I'm not mentally prepared for how bad this can get. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I get it. Uh, the last couple days... We're tough. Um, I think we all we all recognize that. Um, obviously, more so for um, victims and survivors of sexual assault. Um, so, like I said at the top, this is going to include discussions of sexual assault. So please feel free to step away. You don't need to listen to this. Um, if you do not want to, do not have to. We'll always be around for other stuff. You can always skip ahead to the interview we have coming up with Steve Dangle where he talks about hockey misery instead of sad real life misery but let's give an overview of the case um we talked about it a couple times uh over the summer uh so back in 2010 during the chicago blackhawks uh stanley cup run um video coach brad aldrich was accused of assaulting two blackhawks players um it was brought to management but was ignored reportedly um and then aldrich went on to reportedly assault an a, teen- a teenager in 2013 i believe a 16 year old um, high schooler uh when he moved on from the blackhawks organization to i believe a school in michigan um all of this started to come to light when uh lawsuits were opened um earlier this spring uh back in may um and we have been talking about it ever since um and the big thing the reason why we're bringing this up again is because as you said Andrew there was a report from Jenner and Block um that went live on Tuesday a 107 page report about their independent investigation into the um goings on inside the Blackhawks organization uh which I believe was announced a couple months ago um and you're right in that I did not think uh, there would be substantial things from this, but there was. There was substantial, you know, information inside of this. Uh, and as a result, Stan Bowen, Stan Bowman, the GM of the Blackhawks, has stepped down and also from USA Hockey because he was also the GM of the 2022 U.S. Men's Ice Hockey Team. So he has stepped down. Um, VP of Hockey Ops, Al Mass Isaac, I think. 
I'm not sure. I'm sorry to that pronunciation. Um, was also let go. So anybody from the 2010, um, who is still left in the Blackhawks organization from that 2010 group is no longer with the organization. I think that's all the major information of the movement of oh, the Blackhawks were also fined $2 million from the NHL. But that's that's all the big information. We're obviously going to go through this step by step, but that is the overview, uh, unless I missed anything, Andrew. Uh, no, uh, it's, uh, McIsaac, by the way. Thank you. I'm sorry. <laughs> You're I, welcome. Uh, it, no worries, Mary. <laughs> I'm bad I mean, at pronouncing things. We know so this. I. I. I need to hear it bef- first before I, before I, you know, say it correctly. I'm just bad at this. So. Yeah, I hear that. Um, Rick West had also reported that, uh, in 2010, which is the same year that this occurred, the NHL fined the New Jersey Devils $3 million for circumventing the salary cap on Ilya Kovachuk's contract. So they fined the Devils more than they fined the Blackhawks for burying a sexual assault case. Yeah. Which is completely insane, considering we also have to talk about inflation since 2010. <laughs> uh, like, yes. It's probably half. Mm-hmm. You know? Like, yeah. Man, I just. This whole story. Number one, it makes me angry, right? Because anytime something like this happens in hockey, and we've already dealt with, and like, not to say, it's hard to talk about like Theo Fleury right now because he's become such a crazy right wing conspiracy theorist. But his story has been out there for years with Graham James, and among other people that Graham James sexually assaulted through junior hockey, uh, it's you know, it's it's a far reaching story. We've already been here before, right? And to know that a team is capable and willing to just throw sweep this under the rug and pretend it didn't happen to a young player to preserve team chemistry. Like, I'm sorry, but I, I'm just, I'm so done with everyone involved in it, you yeah. know? Uh, and I... I know that there's varying levels of involvement. Like, Stan Bowman stepped down. Um, that's good. And also from USA Hockey, that's good. His statement was utter trash. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. That he basically put it all on Al McIsaac. And he's like, oh, I thought my superior would take care of it. You're the general manager of a hockey team. Manage. Like, I don't care if they have a team president. Like, you don't circle back on that. You don't uh, send an email? Like, I the, the passing the buck stuff? Zero patience. Zero patience. It makes me so angry. Like, you often hear people talk about how, like, uh, managers in a lot of companies, they just kind of, like, fail upwards, right? And they don't actually know what they're doing. Never more true than this sport. Yeah. You know? <laughs> like, I know we won three Stanley Cups. I don't give a shit. You know, like... If you're valuing Stanley Cups over the life and well-being of your players, I'm sorry. I, I just don't care that it's a competitive sport. It's not acceptable. Yeah. It's not acceptable. That's one of the more – I mean, it's all horrifying it, it, completely. Like the, the whole report, everything surrounding it is horrifying. But hearing in that report that there was a meeting talking about it after after the assault had happened talking about it afterwards and being and prominent people who we'll get to later you know the joel quinville's and the kevin chevaldeos we'll get to them uh in our next segment uh but hearing that they had not reported anything because of team chemistry because they were like we're so close to the stanley cup final we don't know if we'll ever get here again that's I don't have any other words other than horrifying. It's inexcusable, unacceptable, shameful, pathetic. Like there, there, there's, I like I said, I have no words, and clearly I listed just a couple there. But like, it's just horrific. It's terrible. I'm, I, I'm not surprised at the same time because we've seen hockey culture in action before in this sport, and this is just another example of it. So I'm not surprised. But it still is shocking to see laid bare. It's still horrific. I, I know I'm repeating myself, but I, I've written so many words about this. I really am just kind of at a loss at this point, considering how much has come out from this. But that is one of the things that really got me that they were that they sacrificed player health 
they sacrifice their duty of care to their yeah. their player, the eleventh overall pick in what I believe two thousand eight, uh, Kyle Beach, who we will talk about uh, again a little bit later. They sacrificed their duty of care to him. They sacrificed his well-being, his mental health, his future for a piece of metal and a banner. Yep. And a dynasty that means absolutely nothing now. It Yeah. It, it I yeah, I there's nothing really else to say like they they sacrificed a person for confetti, for a piece of metal, for a banner that will forever be tainted now. I mean, we don't know what the NHL is going to continue doing about this. Like I said, we're going to talk about that in a little bit, the you know future possible ramifications um, across the league. But I don't have any hope that they'll scratch Aldrich's name off the Stanley Cup. I have no hope that they'll take away... You know, take away the cups. I, I don't. I have no hope on that. That that's that's at least what we deserve. Uh, what the you know victims, survivors deserve. Um, but it's not going to happen. Yeah, I. They'll not. They're not taking away the cup. Not like not a chance. I do think there's an outside shot of them taking off Brad Aldrich's name. Um, that's probably the most likely. I think of the scenarios. That, yeah, that's the most to. likely move by the NHL is to do something symbolic like that and. This is like a tweet went around asking if they should remove his name from the Stanley Cup, and I I retweeted it and I said, yes, it's the easiest question to answer of all time, and that that um, comment from me has kind of gone like mildly viral, like almost four thousand likes, but the responses to it, like it, anything, anytime something goes mildly viral that you're saying <laughs> anything, even remotely moral you're reminded how many people suck, right? And, like, the amount of people who are like, you just want to erase history? Like, are you, are you kidding me? Like, I swear to God, there's something where, like, if somebody talks about erasing history, they are a piece of garbage. <laughs> like, they just don't understand. Do you realize that if the NHL does what they usually do when they remove a name, which is essentially they ask the engraver of the Stanley Cup to pound X's over the name forever, people will see the X's over the name and they'll say, why is that? That doesn't erase history. It removes an honor and corrects it because now people ask why. So yes, they should remove his name from the Stanley Cup, put those X's over it so people understand and remember this situation and look up Brad Aldridge and understand that he is a pedophile, a criminal, a rapist, a piece of garbage, a predator. I don't think there are enough words in the, there in the dictionary to describe this man. There really, no. there really aren't. Um, and it is... It's just a shame. This whole thing. It's it. Things could have stopped, you know, earlier than they did. We could this, you know, if actions were taken by the people in charge, justice could have been done earlier. And I don't even think this really is justice. No, the, it's the, not. the Blackhawks got their cup. The Blackhawks have their cup. They won their championship. The confetti rained down in the city of Philadelphia after that goal. They got well. I guess it. I guess it didn't. But metaphorically speaking, if you understand what I'm saying. But yes, you know, the confetti is over. The banner has been raised. The Stanley Cup has forever, you know, been enshrined with their names. We're only getting consequences and punishments afterwards, and they're not really even punishments because a, a young man's life, a couple young men's life, were affected by this and impacted forever. And it is nothing will change that. And the fact that they sacrificed people young people and especially a person that was their their pick their first not first overall pick their first round pick a number 11 what does that say yeah it's a high pick that they should have valued right yeah you would think just organizationally that that's something that you want to invest in and not ruin so like even removing all of the moral the moralizing and like the doing the right thing stuff just from a business perspective, a hockey perspective, they should have valued, uh, sorry, the victim more. We're going to talk about uh, who it is more in the next segment. I know we want to talk about like, the consequences more in the next segment, but like reading some of the responses from different players as well, I thought Alex DeBrinkett came off really well. He was thoughtful, and the fact that he was 12 years old and not involved in that team uh, speaks well of him, that he's able to 
you know, look back and say like they had to be removed. This is the right thing to move on from Stan Bowman. I was honestly shocked at Jonathan Taves. Oh yeah. How poorly he came off. I lost all respect for Jonathan Taves. Yes. And I understand that you have a long relationship with Stan Bowman, but I won't even talk about Patrick Kane because he doesn't deserve to be, but Jonathan Taves talking about like, Oh, well he probably would have done things different now. And, you know, he did whatever to protect the team, blah, blah, blah. It's garbage. And also remember, this is the same organization that tried to keep the Patrick Kane garbage out of the news. So like, this isn't the first time. You can't say, oh, well, they're good people when this isn't the first time. We've heard about this. You know, and like, people they can don't be, care. People can be nice and good to you, but they're not. They, they don't have to be good people. Like, yeah. Uh, their values I, can be off. I believe Kane also said something similar to that. Taves also said it too that you know Stan Bowman was always good to them, um, and which is not relevant. Yeah, frankly. it's not. It's the story isn't about them. It's about you know the survivors and you know here in this situation and their lives um, and how they've been impacted by all of this. Um, but you're right. I, Taves does not look good uh, coming out of these comments. Um, uh, uh, definitely lost a lot of respect you know, from me, um, and probably by others around the league with it. And it's just top to bottom in the Blackhawks organization. It's just everything about it has been disappointing. I don't think there's been, I mean, maybe besides to but besides that, I don't think that there's been any good positive ways of, you know, acknowledging the survivor moving forward. Um, I, I don't know. I, it's just been so tough like no one's you know like stepped up they've all you know passed the buck onto someone else or made excuses or like he wasn't like this to me that that doesn't matter it's just it's a shame that hardly anybody's you know stepping up to support the survivor here and the only person that did was Alex Debrinkett who was 12 years old when it happened wasn't even close to being on the team it's just it really is a shame I I don't know like where we go from here like i i hope that this helps bring to light other things that have happened in hockey in the nhl pro minor college i hope you know people like survivors start to come forward that we can start to hopefully bring about more justice and make it faster so less people are impacted by it um but it's it's tough like i it's so hard. It really is. You don't. You can't feel good about anything that has happened. People's lives were changed forever, uh, and for the worse. And for the most part, the people that did it or were enabled or you know enabled said person got off basically scot free. And it just sucks. It really, really, really does, Andrew. It does, and it, there's. You you kind of run out of things to say because you're just so grossed out by it all. And we're going to do our best to continue to cover the story as it develops. And we'll we'll take uh, the next day on as well. Uh, we're going to break that down. What happened yesterday, Wednesday. Yeah. Yeah, that is our uh, next topic of conversation. Obviously, we're going to have to roll through some ads. So sorry that this is abrupt. You know, not much... Not much we can do here, but we're all going through it together. But we will talk about what happened on Wednesday with the survivor stepping forward and everything else that has happened right after this. Bet Online is back and better than ever. A new web interface, the start of basketball season, and more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online remains your number one spot for all the basketball and football action this season. Head to our new updated desktop or mobile, dev- or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code Locked On to receive your bonus. From basketball, football, baseball, postseason, NHL, boxing, and UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports. Bet Online, where the game starts. Promo code Locked On. <sighs> all right, Andrew. So moving on from Tuesday into Wednesday. Um, and the things that had happened on that day. There were a lot. Um, so we got confirmation um, in an interview with Request Head 
um, that Kyle Beach, like I said, the, um, I believe, number 11 overall pick in the 20 or 2008 um, NHL draft from the Blackhawks, um, he stepped forward as the John Doe in, the, in an interview with Rick Westhead. Um, it happens around like 6 p.m., I believe, at night. Um, it was a major interview, a 25-minute interview with Rick Westhead. Um, I really recommend everybody watch it or at least read it um, if you can. Obviously, descriptions of sexual assault, so trigger warnings on all of that. Uh, but it's completely harrowing um, listening to him describe the ways in which the NHL failed him. Um and we'll talk about this, um, but to me, the biggest thing was the fact that he apologized to the 16-year-old who was assaulted after um, him in 2013. That was completely gutting. Um, yeah, I'd... That made my stomach turn a little bit, not in like uh, the way that it's usually said, I guess, but just like, it's, it's very upsetting to see the guilt that he carries compared to the just hand-waving away of the people who had responsibility to actually take care of this kid. Yeah, and he shouldn't have had to apologize. He did nothing no. wrong here. Um, and it's just, like I said, it's extremely gutting to, you know, have watched it and even just reading back the quotes uh, right now. I'm, I'm not going to read them, but just reading back the quotes is, is terrible. The fact that somebody had to go through this is just horrific. Um, and it... It sucks, and I'm sorry that the NHL failed him and failed the other, you know, victim survivors in this in this case. Um, uh, so, I guess we can continue talking though about the stuff he said. Uh, one of, one of the major notes was that he believes um, the players all knew um, in the in the locker room. Uh, you know, with uh, the way people made comments to him, the way rumors spread around in the locker room, he believes that everyone knew, um, and that is not what previous players like Taves and Kane uh, and Duncan Keith, I believe, have said. Uh, so that is a big thing. Uh, I guess not, like I said, not really surprising, but still disappointing. Yeah. I mean, Taves seemed to insinuate that he knew by training camp of the next season, which I still think is not entirely truthful. But sorry, if Taves knew by then... All the other members of the Blackhawks' main core saying that they never knew, like Duncan Keith saying that he'd never heard about it until this summer. Bullshit, Duncan. Bullshit. I'm not. I'm not buying it. And I, I'm gonna call out a couple people here, which might get me in trouble. And you don't have to join with me, Mary. But I won't say any names. But Edmonton Media, Oilers Media, who used this opportunity. Or use this situation as an opportunity to try to make out Duncan Keith as some legendary leader saying that if he knew what was going on, Duncan Keith would have done something about it. Shut up. Shut up. What What is wrong with your brain? How much water do you have to carry for an organization to frame it that way? To make it seem like this guy is the hero of the story. He did nothing. Like, give me a break. I just, that made me sick to see that. And I think those comments have been taken down by both major Canadian broadcasters had a reporter who tried to do that. Both of them have taken it down since because they realized how unbelievably tone deaf, irresponsible, and disgusting that was. But it just, it really solidifies for me, this whole situation has solidified for me how poor the media situation or the media landscape is in covering this sport and i think i've said it before and i've gotten trouble before but we for the most part i don't want to say for the most part in a lot of situations we don't have reporters we have repeaters they just repeat what the organization tells them what the players tell them they want access and that's it they want to be buddies with the players they don't want to dig and that's why we have to really value the Katie Strangs and the Rick West heads of the world because they don't care about being buddies. They don't care about organizations trying to lock them out. They're going to get their information whatever way they can and do actual reporting. And it just 
part of it is jobs are so scarce, especially good paying ones. If you lose access to a team or they just don't want to give you what they would give a normal reporter, you might lose your job. There's not many jobs in this industry. You know, like I understand that level of fear, but I don't think that you can report from fear. I think there's a certain kind of attitude you have to carry with you as a journalist and it it has to apply to sports too. I know sports aren't seen as as serious as most other avenues of journalism, but you can see from this story that there are serious stories and we got to get serious a little bit. It doesn't mean you have to rake a team over the coals every time they lose, but it does mean that you have to get serious when there are actual stories to report on. And unfortunately, it seems like most media in this sport didn't get serious about this story until the work was already done. Yeah. Uh, we really need to treasure the, you know, Rick Westhead's Katie Strang's. I believe there is a uh, local Chicago reporter whose name I'm going to rapidly try and find now uh, because I, you know, I know he did a lot of work on it. Um, so excuse me for trying to, you know, fill while, uh, while, you know, I look up his name, but still it is, it's very disappointing that, you know, journalists choose, you know, their jobs over trying to, you know report the truth um believe the person is ben pope of the sun times he's a beat reporter for the chicago sun times i've seen him do a bunch of stuff in terms of like just covering this story all summer so i wanted to shout him out too since you yeah. know there were local beat reporters doing some good work here uh but yeah i think it was a chicago local radio station that first broke this story i think you're right that alerted rick to it and uh, I know that Mark Lazarus and Scott Powers have both been on this story mm -hmm. as well. So shout outs to them. They haven't let it sit. Uh, I'm sure that they've compromised their relationship with the Blackhawks a little bit by continuing to promote this story. And that's good. Mm -hmm. That's good. Um, I guess we should talk about the consequences. Um, the fact that, Kev that uh, Joel Quenville was allowed to coach a game. Uh, he was allowed to coach, Andrew, and then was not allowed to talk to the media. Oh, that man. is that is the real kicker right there. That he was obviously um, the coach of the Blackhawks during the their 2010 Stanley Cup run and their couple of Cup runs after after that. Um, he was scheduled to the Panthers were scheduled to play Wednesday and he was set to coach. Um, the big thing about you know Quenville and Chevaldeoff, who we'll also talk about. Um, as they were mentioned as people in the know in the in the one meeting that took place uh, after the assault allegedly took place it um you know he was one of the people in the meeting that um basically said uh how about we not do anything essentially said these are my words not yeah. his uh Quenville specifically yeah Quenville specifically my words not his basically said something to the effect of let's not do this right now until after until our playoff run is done something to that effect Yes, um, essentially that uh, the team had gone through too much to get as good as they are now. Let's not upset team chemistry, yes. which is uh, my words, not his, but essentially what was going on. And like Joel Quenville has been a coach for a very long time. He's a phenomenal hockey coach in terms of on ice impact. He's having a great start with the Florida Panthers this year. They're seven and zero, And guess what? Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. He should never work in the sport again. Yep. He shouldn't have even like, been coaching Wednesday night. No, like, he should and, not have been and coaching. And if the Panthers weren't undefeated, and I believe still undefeated, uh, if the Panthers mm -hmm. weren't undefeated, he wouldn't have been coaching. If they were, you know, middling, middle of the pack, he wouldn't have been coaching. I can I can feel it. I. It's one of those things where the, the Panthers are enjoying too much success. Um. And... Yeah, and then you have to ask the question of the Panthers. Like, I, I'm for the thing. There's like several layers of shock to Joel Quenville coaching again mm -hmm. after this news came out. Number one, that he doesn't have the personal like responsibility to pull himself. That he values his own impact on the bench so much that he's going to make himself the story. You know, uh, to not just move away and let it. Like, meet with the league, figure out where to go after that. Number two, that the Florida Panthers value two points in the standings so much that they're willing to take the PR hit of allowing that coach 
on that day to coach. That's maddening to me. And number three, that the NHL wouldn't follow their standard practice with every single player the same way as they would or that they should with a coach. He should be suspended until he's interviewed. And uh, obviously there still can be breaking news after this podcast happens because I believe of course. on Thursday, which is today, um, the when you were, most of you, I would assume, are hearing this, uh, at 2 p.m., I believe, is when Gary Bettman is going to be interviewing either one or both of Quenville and Shovel Day Off. Uh, so there is the possibility later there there is breaking news, but just know that we won't be covering it because we are recording this before that happens. But it's just all levels of bad. It's all levels of bad, and the fact is that what we've got so far is not the end of the story, right? Like, we know that. We know that. There will be revelations continuing in this specific thing, and this will have a ripple effect on other players stepping forward with things that have happened to them, just like Akeem Alou did. You know, it. <laughs> I don't trust the NHL to keep going with this at all, but I do trust Rick Westhead. I do trust Katie Strang that this story is not going to die uh, their their teeth are sunk in, and it's not going anywhere. It, it's going to keep going. And I think that as much as there are a lot of people who are very quick to jump to conclusions about, like, this person wasn't mentioned, they they clearly didn't know. Remember that there's 37 people who refused to be interviewed for this investigation. Those names aren't, aren't staying quiet. Mm-hmm. Like, they will come out, and they will be tainted. You know, it, it's it's going to happen. This is going to get even more ugly. And as it happens, we'll be here to break it down for you. And hopefully when we get to the other side of this, things actually change. Yeah, that's the hope. You know, that's that's my hope. Yeah, because we can't we can't go back and make the lives better for, you know, Kyle Beach and the other survivors in this instance. We can't we can't change that. But there's hope that maybe we can stop and prevent these things from happening in the future in hockey and in sports in general, because this has been a problem in sports. And I know that it's been a thing to be like, my team would never No, your team would. We all know this. It's, it's prevalent in sports everywhere. You just have to, you know, do a couple quick Google searches to see the, the things that have happened, you know, in colleges It's and even in the NHL. So yeah, it's to a lesser degree. It's the same thing that happened when uh, the Montreal Canadiens drafted Logan Mayu, right? Yeah. And a lot of people, my team would never. Your team would. Most teams would. The Canadians are the dumb ones who did it. They should be castigated for it. But uh, the moralizing of like, oh, my team would never. That uh, that always turns me off. It like that whole like uh, being too deep into being a fan, right? Where you you can't recognize that it's not just one team that has these poisonous ideas of ignoring real issues because of the honest product. It's a lot of them. And I get, and yeah, go for it. I mean, I just was going to say, I get fans having, I guess not defensive reactions, but trying to reconcile their love of the team with what happened. Yes. It it is a tough scenario. One that I, if you know me and, where I went to school, you know that I have also been through this and tried to reconcile these feelings. It is a very difficult task. Um, and obviously it shouldn't be about us, the fans, but it is, it's one of those things where you, you as a fan who listening to this, probably there are a few Blackhawks fans listening to this are probably going through it right now. And obviously center the victim, keep the you know victim and survivors in your thoughts. Um, but humans are imperfect. It is it is tough to place humans on a pedestal um, and have them disappoint you in this way. Um, yeah. And, and I, I would say a word of advice for literally everyone that if you're thinking about using this situation as a way to like frame yourself or your team or your favorite player as morally superior, just don't tweet it. Yeah. Just think about it first. Think about what you're saying. And like Mary said, center the victim in this scenario. Not everything has to be a, I'm better than or this person's better than. We can just talk about what actually happened. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think we're going to wrap this up. Uh, I don't know if you have any more words to say on this, Andrew. No. Okay. Uh, we will. I'm sure we will in the future. Yeah, but, I was going to uh... say we are definitely going to continue covering this. 
um, in the future because, as you said, Andrew, this is far from over, um, especially with the possible fallout that could happen in the next couple days, weeks, however long it takes. Uh, last thing I'm going to say, though, is believe uh, survivors, believe, you know, sexual assault survivors. I think that is the message we can, you know, end. We can all get behind. Yeah, we can all get behind and end um, on that note today. We will have our interview with Steve Dangle, though, coming up. Um, this was scheduled before all of the stuff came out, and we didn't want to leave Steve hanging because we are... I would like to think we're nice people that, you know, follow our word. So that interview will be coming up next. Uh, and then we'll just transition out of the episode. No pop culture segment. We'll leave that discussion for next week when we come back to you. You know, hopefully rested and all in a better and a little bit of a better place. But our interview with Steve Dangle is coming up right after this. With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it's now impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts you need. Why endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questioning and wait while the person behind the counter orders the parts on their computer, choosing only the brand their warehouse happens to carry? You have computers with access to rockauto.com at home and in your pocket. rockauto.com is a family business, serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. They have everything from engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet. Whether it's for your classic or daily driver, get everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. The rockauto.com catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. Quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brands, specifications, and prices you prefer. Best of all, prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low and the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. Why spend up to twice as much for the same parts? Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Right locked on in their how-did-you-hear-about-us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. RockAuto.com. Welcome back to the Crosscheck NHL show. We're here with a special guest from the Steve Dangle podcast and, of course, his YouTube channel and Sportsnet. It's Steve Dangle, everybody. Hooray! How you doing, Steve? I'm good. We we know that uh, you're a little bit under the weather from uh, your last LFR and uh, the last podcast. And, you know, on top of that, I feel like we're all a little bit down right now after all the stuff that's gone on. But, uh, Steve, are you okay? (laughs) I'm going to be, I'm on the mend. I just, you know what? Um, I didn't take NyQuil until after I was done my video last night, which was like midnight, which is not when you're supposed to take NyQuil. (laughs) So I'm, I'm sure I'll be fine. I have coffee on the go. Leafs won last night. More importantly, the Blackhawks lost. So I'm ready to go. Yeah, that was that was a bit of a crazy game when it, when the Blackhawks Blackhawks were up two nothing. I was like, this this can't be happening, like uh, both ways. Yeah, yeah. I, I can't. You know, I I hate to be the pessimist, but that was the least crazy part of the game. Uh, personally, yeah. I thought the craziest part of the game is when everyone showed up. They dropped the puck and had a game. Yes, uh, I thought they maybe should have postponed it. Um. I also thought gameplay was going to stop at least once for someone throwing a jersey on the ice, but uh, Blackhawks fans were a little, little bit more uh, civil uh, than uh, I thought. But the Leafs, my goodness, every game, I feel like I'm losing my mind, every game starts the same way. They get out shot, something in the neighborhood of 9-3 to three in the first like 10 minutes. They allow a goal, maybe two. And then the back half of the first period, they actually wake up. And at the end of the first, they're out shooting their opponents something like 15-12. And you're like, gosh, the Leafs are so unlucky. No, they're not. (laughs) (laughs) They they get caved in at the beginning of every game. Score effects come to the rescue. And their shooting percentage sucks because the shots that they take suck. I think what you're telling me here, though, is they need to move the start time of the games by a half hour later so that the Leafs can wake up and actually have a chance at some of these games. Because it reminds me of the Flyers used to do the same thing some years back. They were terrible at starting on time. It was just miserable watching them, and they'd get in a hole like the Leafs do. And then it would kind of be over because, like, even though they, you know, might look better later in the game and kind of dominate, it was just they weren't able to pull themselves out of it. So I completely understand where you're coming from there because it's, it's, it's a completely frustrating way to watch a, a hockey game. You're like, can't you guys start on time, please, for once in your life? So we can actually play a full 60 minutes of hockey. 
Well, and yeah. Steve, isn't this a fairly familiar thing? I swear, like four years ago under Babcock, they did this exact same thing where it was like every game they looked unprepared to start. They've, you know, it's amazing you said four years because I think you're right. And they've honestly done it more often than they haven't. And, you know, you go through too many people think in a vacuum with these things. You go, okay, well, whose job is it to get the players ready for the game? It's the coach. So it's Sheldon Keefe's fault. Dude, this has been a problem for the better part of half a decade. With And you can blame it on the core, and maybe it is the core's fault, but like Austin Matthews has typically been a really good first-period scorer. It's been a rotating cast of uh, supporting cast members. I, I cannot for the life of me understand why this is consistently an issue, whether they're in Toronto or not, whether there are fans or not. It's... It's very clearly a team in its own head. And I was so encouraged, not just by the fact that they won yesterday, but just like little things. Matthews going, woo, that fan space after uh, Willie scored the overtime winner. But also, maybe the most encouraging thing for Leaf fans was Mitch Marner joking after the game. He was, uh, he's like, oh yeah, I didn't, I didn't know anything happened to my tooth last game because he got his tooth knocked out until I got up and a Carolina Hurricanes fan looked at me like I was something grotesque and he got a bunch of laughs. And I was like, there's Mitch. There's the happy-go-lucky kid. You know what I mean? That's that's how he's got to play. And there's been no fun in his game lately. Uh, maybe a big OT win will turn things around a bit. Yeah, you can definitely feel the weight of things on Mitch Marner this season. It's been kind of like sad to watch because he just has kind of shrugged that off outside of the playoffs, obviously for most of his career, he <laughs> didn't ever seem like he felt the weight of the pressure of the market, but uh, things have changed and hopefully he can shrug that off a little bit. Now we've talked about this before, Steve, but like the weight of expectations is on the fans as well. Right. Not necessarily in terms of like you impact the performance, but just the feeling of wanting something to happen. And it seems like every year lately, there's something that is just sticking with Leafs fans that makes the year miserable, whether it's the Nylander holding out situation, the Marner contract waiting for Matthews to get extended. And then the inevitable first round failure. When's the last time you can remember going through a Maple Leaf season and just being happy. And why is it Austin Matthews rookie year? So it's Austin Matthews rookie year (laughs) because, (laughs) because there were, absolutely no expectations and even the slums you couldn't help but go this went better than expected (laughs) everything about it um that that october i remember they played a lot of really fun games and lost a lot and that's exactly what everybody expected out of that year and then they did the darndest thing they started winning And the most frustrating part of that season is when March turned into April and it looked like they might blow the playoffs. And uh, the expectations have always been uh, this team's Achilles heel, but then something different happened with the team is the playoffs began and the expectations turned off because they were playing the president's trophy winning Washington Capitals. Yeah, the Caps won in six, but five of those games went to overtime. There were six overtimes uh, in that six-game series. Uh, Every game was decided by one goal. It was was bloody magic, but uh, being a contender is not a title this team has ever worn comfortably. And I think a lot of us thought, you know, maybe all the expectations crashing down after last year would help, but I don't really think they have. There's a different bitterness this time. And I tell you what's not helping the fact that the Habs stink. (laughs) Because I wish last year harder to swallow. Yes. If they were 10 and 0, we'd be like, ah, all right. (laughs) Fair enough. You know, uh, they flipped the switch and here they go. But the fact that they're like 
bottom five in the league. Oh, it stings. To it's be fair sucks, to the to Montreal, they really don't seem like the same team that they were last year. It's no. like to me, it feels like they're a completely different team. They've lost so many pieces. Carry Price isn't there right now. There's just it, there's so much about that team that's different, and we were all kind of expecting it. But I completely understand where that's coming from, though. Like, you know, you guys couldn't beat, you know. Montreal and then now they're bad this year like it just feels like such a wasted opportunity you're you're totally right it's like I don't know to to do a wrestling comparison it's like when Scott Hall and Kevin Nash left for WCW and then WWE tried to give Diesel and Razor Ramon uh just different people playing their characters and they said this is Diesel and Razor Ramon and everyone (laughs) went no they're not and that's that's sort of what the Habs feel like. They feel like they're doing an impression of themselves really poorly. I feel like uh, Mary might be too young for those references. No, I'm also not a wrestling person. I, I know that I know that that flies in the face of everything about hockey Twitter, but that has just never been my lane. My one friend wants to try and change that, but uh, we never have gotten around to it yet. But maybe one day. I, I know it's a big thing, though. And yeah, I'm also too young for that reference. I have faith. <laughs> <laughs> Thank yeah. you. All right. So the, the Leafs did finally bust the slump and in like fairly dramatic fashion, coming back down from two nothing and then winning in overtime. And it, it was kind of funny watching that overtime. The mistake came off of Seth Jones, right? Trying to make a, a little snipe and missing the net, went around and he got caught. And then Austin Matthews with a little push move to spring Nylander. Do you think that they earned some goodwill in that game? I know you're talking about like you got a little hope going because Mitch is joking around, but do you think maybe there's a little belief creeping back in or is it just they, they've got to do a lot more before people are on board here? Uh, they got to do a lot more, but there's a lot you can take from that. Like I know Sheldon Keefe is a grumpy, a very grumpy man these days. And he talks a lot about process and wanting to score playoff style goals and, uh, the Leafs have done a miserable job of that. And ironically, none of those goals last night were playoff style goals. They were all sort of Hail Mary, <laughs> like backhanders, uh, except for Willie, who obviously got a stupid arcade mode breakaway, which was a lot of fun. But they just needed a win for their souls, uh, deeply at the bottom of their souls. And also, like, some of the losses recently have been really bitter pills to swallow. You cannot lose that game to the penguins like people were kind of upset about that loss to the sharks just because they didn't play very well but it's unacceptable to lose to the penguins i don't care if they had rest and the leafs were on the second half of back-to-back they were missing five guys then it's the freddie revenge game and he got his revenge the bitterness in this fan base if the leafs lost to the chicago blackhawks on that particular night it's unforgivable. I was, I was in the middle of tweeting. Dubas has to make a trade tomorrow when John Tavares scored, <laughs> because it it things were really looking that desperate. Yeah, I mean, just because of the external factors, I assumed that the Maple Leafs would lose last night because that's oh, yeah, that's the kind of game that, if anything, you can count on the Maple Leafs to do something ridiculous it's right? not even like, just the maple leafs too it's the hot it's the hockey world like we've seen, true we've seen, but like the leafs the are special at it like the yeah, david airs right. game you know like there's always what there's when there's these weird things that happen the maple leafs find a way to me like how can we make this crippling to our fan base it's it's it really it's is form. yeah like mary like i i don't want to be like oh, the leafs are the main character <laughs> but I mean, in those moments, it really does feel that way. And that's what's going to make it all win. sweeter when they do win is they are. I mean, I, I agree with you. I, I absolutely do. They are the main character. They're going through their, you know, struggles arc and have been for some time. And then that's, you know, when the Leafs do eventually win the playoff round, because it will happen. I don't think we're going to live in a universe where it doesn't. Uh, but when it does happen, it's going to make it all the sweeter because of everything you guys have gone through. I hope so. It really is the little things like, so we were talking about that Penguins game. You know what was less acceptable than that and sort of got swept under the rug last year because they were doing so well? They lost to the Canucks after the Canucks had a month off. Oh, that was bad. Yeah. And all of them were like recovering from COVID. Like they couldn't even skate in that game. Mm -hmm. Oh, but they, but they got goalie. The goalie had been off for a month. (laughs) 
you can't lose. And then they lost the next one too. You can't, you can't. And the Leafs say want to bet. Are we sure that the Leafs aren't just ex- a social experiment on it, sports it's fans? A long game performance art. I think yeah, so. I really honestly, do. I really do. Yeah. I really think we're at that stage at this point because this is just too much. Like even for me, this is too much. Austin Matthews is Joaquin Phoenix. He's, he's just <laughs> the, the smartest guy in the room and we're all marks. Uh, I mean, it wouldn't be that surprising, honestly. It does. Sometimes the, the way that the Maple Leafs are feels very scripted. But uh, we're going to talk about the Leafs a little bit more on the other side here. We're going to take a break. We're going to ask Steve about some specific players in the Leafs and uh, how this team could maybe go forward and overcome them themselves, essentially, right after this. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever, and the new and improved Built Bar is even deliciouser. If you don't know the Built Bar flavor as well, you're missing out, as you've got coconut, cherry barcia, raspberry, mint brownie, double chocolate, salted caramel, strawberry, orange, cookies and cream, and German chocolate. There's something for everyone with Built Bar, and if you haven't tried all the flavors, you can get a mixed box, where you get two of each of the nine flavors. Not only are Built Bar flavors the best tasting, but they're healthy too. Built Bar is great for any health-conscious person, as you can lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat. All of the Built Bar flavors have between 17 to 18 grams protein, calories ranging from 130 to 180, only 4 to 5 grams net sugar, and only 4 to 5 grams net carbs. All amazing flavors, all tasty, all healthy. Order today and get that raspberry or mint brownie or whatever you'd like. All bars are covered in 100% chocolate and are soft and easy to chew. So go to Built.com and use the promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your next order. Use promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at Built.com. All right, we're back with Steve Dangle, who really needs no introduction because he's a superstar in the hockey media landscape, which I know he hates when I say things like that. Stop it. You know, it makes you feel awkward, but uh, it's true. You carved out a kind of job that didn't exist before you existed, Steve. So hats off to you. But uh, before I pump you up too much, uh, I got to ask you, I know over the summer, Things were up and down with uh, Mitch Marner. Where are you with Marner right now? Um, oh, boy. What a tough question. I mean, the most encouraging thing you can say with Mitch and with a lot of the Leafs right now is it's in their head. And that's counterintuitive. Um, you know, you certainly don't want anyone to be inside their own head. But the way athletes typically degenerate, like it's a horrible moment when you see someone who you have loved watching for a long time, but maybe they've had a bum knee or a bad back. And there's a moment where you see them just flub the puck or something. And you're like, "Ugh, they just can't do that anymore. Their body won't let them. Mitch's body is fit as a fiddle. This is, this is physically the best version of Mitch Marner we've ever seen physically the best version of William Nylander we've ever seen Austin Matthews same thing but they're miserable (laughs) so I I do believe Mitch will get it back but there's there's this weird homecoming too um you know I thought the storyline was overdone that the Leafs were succeeding last year um, and it was funny that it just happened to be when all the fans weren't in the room anymore. But there is something to the idea of the Leafs disappointing the fan base so badly, and then the fans come back. And this is a fan base that really deeply loved Mitch Marner. He could do no wrong. And a lot of people don't like this guy right now. Yeah. And there's I don't need to get into all the factors surrounding it, but the one thing we could always lean on was, you know what? He's going to give us a fun performance and produce. And you'll forget about the contract stuff. And you'll forget about this and you'll forget about that. Oh, when they're losing, can't forget. So hopefully that win is chicken soup for his soul. Yeah. And I also, I want to give you credit because I know that I was watching the the podcast, I believe. And you were talking about... Um, how people were mentioning that the Maple Leafs have, le- have been leading the league in like scoring chances. And you're like, but their shots suck. If you actually, actually, hold on. Am I doing this wrong? Maybe. Andrew's doing stats on the wrong. fly for, yeah, <laughs> for the people, for the people listening at home. Wrong. Okay. Yep, so he's... I am wrong. Never mind. 
Okay. The, uh, the expected goals are not supporting you, unfortunately. Uh, mm-hmm. They actually do lead the league in expected goals for for 60. So we'll I see if that uh, ever works out. But uh, yeah, the I mean, it's tough to figure out in small samples if there's something that's just slightly wrong, that the data is not catching or if things are just not going well. You really do have to break it down play by play. But I think if there's anyone on the Maple Leafs who's unimpeachable, it's got to be William Nylander, right? Like at this point, I know that there's people in the fan base, like especially some boomer people that do not like William Nylander, but the one guy who seems completely unfazed by everything and just continues to perform is Willie. Well, actually, that's that's what I noticed. You know what? Usually you're right. Uh, a thousand percent. And I would have said that with Willie up until last night, because when really? he started to get upset, there were a few plays where he seemed upset. And I'm like, holy cow. They pissed off Willie. I've never even seen him show uh, emotion. He's just a little Mona Lisa smile, go out there, get a point in a Hawaiian shirt. Thank you, ma'am. But generally speaking, he's pretty unflappable and he's kind of perfect for this market in that way. Like it's cool to have the hometown heroes and everything, but for a team that was obviously uh, pretty haunted by demons uh, in last year's playoffs, who was their leading scorer? The guy who usually doesn't really care about anything. <laughs> yep. It was, it was William Nylander. He's kind of perfect for the team. Yeah. And also the one who, who's holding out actually ended up giving him a bargain contract, like in terms of cap hit. Yeah. It's, it was like accidental genius. It's tough though. Like people don't realize like not everyone watches every game. Not everyone pays that close attention uh, either. And I think what a lot of people remember with Willie is him scoring, I think it was seven goals <laughs> that year. Um, and sometimes it's hard to shake that reputation, even though he's been an absolute monster since then. Yeah, that was uh, that was a rough season. You know, I think anytime you miss that much time and come back. I, I also remember that same season, it was like uh, Shea Weber was coming back from injury. And he came back and he was just playing the best uh, hockey of his time in Montreal. And people were continually comparing William Nylander to Shea Weber and like, oh, well, why wasn't he as good as Weber coming back? And it's like, well, I mean, one of them is a cagey vet who is used to playing through pain and injuries. And the other one is a young kid who isn't playing with Austin Matthews anymore because <laughs> Mitch has taken that spot. So it's a bit of a different situation, but uh, yeah. So I, I wanted to ask you as well, Steve, this team, we, we talked about the mental hurdles that they have to get over. Do you, do you think this team can do it? Do you think this year, the way it started could maybe put them in a situation where, because they have to face adversity to get back into the playoff hunt a little bit off the hop, maybe they enter the playoffs with a different state of mind. Uh, well, they got to get there first. I, I do think adversity at the beginning of the season is a good thing because I think everyone seems to agree that at least this team's talent level, there's no reason to expect them to miss the playoffs, like even in a strong division. Uh, because what happened last year is they basically never had this. They basically never had this sort of slump. And the Habs have one good period in game five and the entire deck of cards uh, comes, comes falling down. What I keep trying to tell myself, you know, there's all this lore around the Leafs and how they can't do it and perennial failures. And they, they really do wilt uh, in those big moments is there are so many players and so many teams who once had that reputation who shook it. Like, remember the way people used to talk about Sidney Crosby and the way people used to talk about Alex Ovechkin and the Chicago Blackhawks and the L.A. Kings and St. Louis, you know, being in last place, I think, is a bit overdone. Um, But, you know, because that's a one off. But the Kings were pretty garbage before they got Jeff Carter the year they won that cup uh, in 2012. So. While it's difficult to picture until they actually do the thing, here's here's how I know they're on the right track. Anytime anyone's like, what do you want? Leaf fans go, we want a big move. And then people go, okay, what would you trade Mitch Marner for? 
I've yet to see anyone actually answer the question because everyone knows trading Mitch Marner is stupid <laughs> and you're going to lose that trade a thousand times out of a thousand. So they just, they got to work it out themselves. There's no other option. Yeah. I mean, my, my trade idea for Mitch Marner, which I think I floated to you in the summer actually was when Philadelphia was like flipping people all over the place and doing their rebuild on the fly, essentially. I would have moved Mitch Marner for Travis Konechny and Joel Farabee. I feel like you pitched this idea when Steve was on the podcast last. Yes, I'm pretty sure I did. Yeah, I think you were like, interesting. Hmm, probably not. Mm, Oh, man. Losing Farabee would be tough. Dude's a dude's an absolute gamer. I mean, I love Konechny, too. Don't get me. Don't get me wrong. Konechny, too, is fantastic. But Joel Farabee is on a completely like he was on a completely other level of their level last year. And I would have sucked to lose him. But you're you're right in that, you know, a Mitch Marner trade, the Leafs are going to lose. 10 times out of 10 there's there's no way to replace the potential he brings and i know that you know he hasn't always shown it for the maple leafs but the potential is there and he has shown you know those flashes it's just you know bringing it all together and you know keeping it together mentally too because it's tough it really is playing in a market like that in his hometown like it the pressure is immense i hate the mitch marner versus the fans thing i I really i really gotta say like this is that's oh. like the worst thing about the salary cap, right? Because I think the thing is, anytime a player signs a contract like that, you can see what's going to happen ahead of time. Like, I remember when PK Subban signed his big contract with the Montreal Canadiens that morning. I wrote a column and I was like, Be prepared. This guy is the absolute fan favorite. Literally, everybody loves him. People will hate him. I was like, You're going to see it, and it's going to happen very quickly. Because he's making $9 million a year, people are going to turn on him. And I, and I got so much hate for writing that. And what happened? Real fast. Well, and he, turn. he made $9 million bucks long before guys were making $9 million bucks too. Like he was, he had to be top five paid players in the league at the time, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because the Canadians made that giant mistake of signing him to a bridge contract and then he immediately won a Norris trophy. Yeah. That's how it goes, buddy. Yep. That's how it goes. <laughs> That is how it goes. But uh, I wanted to actually, in the, before we let you go, Steve, ask you one thing. I'm going to pump your tires first, actually. I'm going to say, because sure. I, I know that you were uh, talking about how the stream numbers went up in the Pittsburgh game, and you're like, ah, people want to see me have a heart attack on, on stream or whatever. I don't think most of it is that. I think most of it is you are the heartbeat of Leafs fandom for a huge percentage of the fan base. And Uh when things are going bad, yes, some people tune in because they want to see angry Steve. But I think a lot of people tune in because they want to feel the catharsis of somebody showing their emotions that they feel. I think that's the bigger thing that drives those numbers. And they're like, they're pissed off. Like, I want to see somebody else who's as mad as me. Yeah, they want to be validated. Yes, exactly. They want to be validated. I know sometimes you feel like you're the stunt you have to be the stunt guy or that people want you to be the stunt guy and be angry. But I do think that a lot of it is people want the catharsis and the validation of how they feel being reflected back to them. I'm, I'm the rage translator. Is, is that what yes. You're <laughs> yes, you are. You are people. You're showing people how they feel and they're like, yeah, yeah, I, I am that angry. I am that upset. But what you are able to do with the LFRs and with the podcast is something that's truly special. And watching your last LFR, for the game that happened on Wednesday evening. Uh, I just wanted to ask you, because this is something that I think Mary and I struggle with as well, because we try to do like some of the harder news on this podcast. How did you find the balance between talking about the Blackhawks issues and then also talking about a Leafs win where you have to go from like the somber news to trying to be happy about a Leafs win that busts a slump because I know how difficult that is. Do you find that it ever gets easier to balance that? Or do you kind of feel like almost guilty about putting out something that you have to show some happiness about? Um, You know what? Uh, Sometimes you think a little too hard, you know, and, and I think I used to do that with, with these things and, I was talking about it with uh, producer Drew and just sort of like, how do I handle this? Like, how, how do I structure this video? And one thing that Adam Wild, <clears throat> one thing Adam Wild does so well is he doesn't try to figure out a galaxy brain 
um, transition. He just goes, all right, guys, we're changing topics. He just, <laughs> yeah. he just does a really hard right turn and you acknowledge that it's awkward. And by acknowledging that it's awkward, um, I think you take it away. Like, I, I think you cut people off at the pass uh, instead of having them go, ooh. Because when, when there is no heads up, I think it can feel yucky and dirty. But if you just go, you know, just come to the audience hat in hand and go, hi, I couldn't think of a clever way to do this, so I'm just doing it. Um, people largely uh, seem to accept it. It's, you know, no one, I think, I think people, they get into sports because they think it's fun and they think it's easy. And, you know, when, when people envision what they're going to be talking about, they don't envision the Blackhawk story. Yeah. Um, they don't envision X, Y, and Z. Um, but you got to do it. And if you do it well, and then just admit there's a hard right turn coming, I, I think you can pull it off. Yeah. And I think you, you do well, my friend. And uh, if you haven't checked it out yet, check out the latest Steve Dingle podcast. I suggest you watch it on YouTube because watching the guy's reactions is always better. But uh, I believe you guys had Rick West head on. Uh, no, to, tomorrow. Tomorrow. tomorrow okay. You have tomorrow. Rick West head on tomorrow. Okay. So definitely check that out. But it's, I think you guys have covered this story really well. The yes. fact that you've reached out to Rick and got him on your platform has been excellent. Cause I think that uh, outside of TSN, he doesn't get the platform that he deserves. Like there, we have only a handful of people in this industry that truly dig. And it's like risk Rick, sorry, Rick Westhead, Katie Strang, and a couple of others in local markets. We got to support them because it's rare and it's hard to get funding for the work that they do. And the way he interviewed um, Kyle beach, We'll talk about yes. him, obviously, on the podcast. So by the time you hear this portion, we'll have already talked about it. The magic of editing. Uh, the way he <laughs> handled that interview was phenomenal, like absolutely professional. Like I, I can only imagine what it's like to have had that 25 minute interview with him and just the way that he's done, like, you know, re reporting on this story and, and taking the lead and obviously with you know katie strang and others is just incredible so thank you also steve for you know doing your part to continue talking about this because i know like you you guys talked about it a lot in the summer too so it just you know it's good that we're doing stuff like this and having the hard conversations because it is tough but it is very necessary well we we built our platform you know that was that was some hard work but at the you know at the end of the day we're still lucky to have it and with a reporter as great as rick all you got to do is give him the platform and get out of the way so he was amazing and i can't wait to talk to him tomorrow because uh the day he had on uh well the 48 hours he had on wednesday thursday it's quite the story to tell let me tell you yeah no kidding all right uh, steve we'll stop taking up all your morning time go give uh, leo a hug and you guys can both be sick together and sl of course uh <laughs> thanks so much for doing this and i don't think i need to tell anybody where to find you but steve dangle on youtube sdpn because you can find me there as well and uh steve underscore dangle on twitter thanks steve thank you thanks guys appreciate it and that's all we have for you today on the cross track nhl show it's part of the locked on podcast network Make sure to follow us on your podcast platform of choice from Apple to Odyssey to Spotify and rate and review us while you're at it. You can follow the pod at Crosscheck NHL on Twitter, me at Mary C. Clark on Twitter, and Andrew at Andrew Berkshire on Twitter. Thanks for making the Crosscheck NHL show your first listen every Tuesday and Thursday. We'll be back on Tuesday with some more puck talk, but now make your second listen locked on fantasy hockey. Host Scott Cullen leans on his decades of fantasy hockey insight and expertise every day to help you be the expert of your fantasy league. It's free and available on all platforms.